0: With that declaration, America was born. Inspired by a belief in the God-given rights of every human being, and in the good that comes from exercising these rights well, the founders of our great nation chose independence. As do we. Hillsdale College accepts no government funding because independence makes possible the good to which we aspire.
1: that saw Gentleman Jack get recommissioned for a second series, Love Island improve its aftercare, and the Prime Minister break down in tears live on telly, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. On this week's episode of the podcast, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, we hear from the one and only Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones Talking about the new series of Black Mirror. We discuss a new drama starring Michael Sheen and David Tennant, that's good omens. And we review Keely Hawes' latest project. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Hi, Jeffers, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, good, thanks. How's it going?
1: Good thank you. Very excited about the Downton Abbey trailer that they just released. I think that's going to be good.
2: Yeah I think a lot of people have been missing Downton for the years it's been off ITV. It's a bit strange isn't it having the idea of a big screen movie because they're always sort of feature length. I think at Christmas time it it always felt like it was a bit of a film for most people anyway but some of the cast have been speaking this week. I did speak to Jim Carter briefly about the movie. Can't say too much about the plot obviously but The impression he was given is they've gone sort of for all bells and whistles. There's going to be perhaps bigger effects. They've obviously got a big budget. And this has been a long time in the making. I mean, they I think they started on the script before the TV series even ended. So hopefully if they've had that long, Julian Fellows has got got something decent out of it. Are you excited?
1: Yeah, I don't think you really need big effects, though. I, I bet most of that budget has just gone on making Maggie Smith sign up. Because, you know, she always said, oh... I don't really watch it. She was never that excited about it, but she's the best thing in it. You couldn't do it without her. They must have had to do so many negotiations to get all that cast back together. But the best, just even in the trailer, the best bit was Maggie Smith doing her singing one-liners. She's, you know, she's just brilliant. I was just looking forward to being in the company of those characters again. I don't think it really needs that much plot, to be honest. I just think it needs to be, you know, just the kind of thing that we've been seeing and enjoying for the last however many years.
2: People will just be so pleased to see some of those characters again after a few years off. The other thing I thought of, and I don't suppose it will happen, but it's due out in around September time, I think. If only ITV had, had unlimited funds. If they could get it in time for Christmas, I imagine it would be probably the Christmas after. But you can just see down to the movie in the... The Christmas Day schedules I mean that would be an absolute ratings banker wouldn't it
1: because I just love Downton on Sunday nights it was something we always really look forward to me and my flatmate and they haven't really been able to replace it they've obviously tried a few different period dramas on ITV but nothing has that same kind of magic I suppose
2: no there's been a few hits I'd say period drama wise on, on the BBC but ITV is still, still really struggling aren't they I think you know Cool, The Midwife, a lot of people watching the same vein, it does the same sort of numbers. But yeah, in terms of ITV, they're still looking for that Sunday night hit, I think.
1: Well, let's move on to some brand new drama, starting with Good Omens, which is something I've been waiting for for a long time. It's going to be on Amazon Prime first and then BBC One in a few months' time. Really popular book, obviously, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. But if, if anyone hasn't read it or don't know what it's about, tell us, Jeffers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't read it either. And, and so it was, it was new to me. It's, it's not the sort of book I would read. The two main characters are uh, Crowley, a sort of demon who's played by David Tennant. And uh, I, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, but it's Aziraphale, is it? It's yes. basically an angel. Michael Sheen playing an angel. David Tennant essentially playing almost like the devil. And, and they're basically coming, putting together, they they get together and they're sort of trying to save the world, really. that's That's the basis of it. I thought this was going to be really geeky. I wasn't sure I was going to like it, but actually it's really, really good. There's lots of other characters, lots of big other stars in it, John Hamm, Anna Maxwell Martin, but for me it's all about Michael Sheen and David Tennant and the time they have on on screen together. What did you think?
1: They're absolutely brilliant in it. This is really, although it's fantasy and like you say people might think it's a bit geeky or whatever, it's just really funny really slick, really dry. David Tennant is really good at those kind of characters he's playing this demon who kind of thinks he's above everything and suddenly the apocalypse is coming and he thinks "Oh, that sounds like a lot of hard work, I don't really want the apocalypse not into it, even though that's supposed to be his mission on earth so he teams up with this angel who you know doesn't like him but is sees the good in everything because he's an angel and they have to try and work together and they're both absolutely brilliant it's really fun it's it's very different to anything that's on tv at the moment it's really kind of you know, uses they use their imagination obviously to create this world and it's it's just really kind of enticing, I think. You're just in it from the very, very beginning. Even the title sequence is really good. Um John Hamm plays the angel Gabriel and he is hilarious, like really smug, annoying, kind of angel type figure. Um I just really enjoyed it. I can't wait to see where it goes.
2: The other thing I think David Tennant said similar things to you. He said it's unlike anything he's ever worked on before. And that that's quite difficult to do. You know, there's a lot of drama on TV. Tonally, it does feel different. It does feel otherworldly, if you like. And there's a lot of effects in it. it, you know, obviously for them to look like angels and devils and that kind of thing. But it, but it's not too too geeky. It doesn't feel too specialist. And that's quite important, I think, for Amazon. You know, they, they don't make that many programmes they're trying to get in the game with Netflix and people like that. So they need something like this to make a big impact. It's been talked about for years, this, by Amazon. We've been sort of seeing little snippets of trailers and things. And finally, it's coming out on Friday. And I do think it's going to get people perhaps to, to to tune into Amazon and to actually watch it. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's really different. And um, yeah, I think it's going to make a big splash when it launches on Friday.
1: It's a really good point because certainly over here, I think in America, it's different. Streaming services sort of share the... Uh, viewing public a bit, people watch Hulu, people watch other things, but here it's just Netflix, isn't it really? I mean, and and iPlay or whatever, but really it's Netflix in terms of independent streaming services and Amazon have been struggling to get hit. Yes, they've had Mrs. Maisel, but... You know, some people like it, but it's it's not must-see TV really worse. I think this really could be. So it really, people, they need to shift in people's head that Amazon is just somewhere to do your shopping. You know, it's actually somewhere that you can go and watch good TV. So I think this could be really big for them. And like you say, what's the sign of how good it is, is that you just got Danny Mays and Anna Maxwell Martin as like, smaller supporting characters you know these are some of our best actors who are just in there as smaller characters just slotted in
2: and Jack White was playing a character called New. I thought he was quite good quite quite a different character of of sort of from his usual stuff on TV there's there's just huge huge stars dotted around all over the place that yeah I think it's it's pretty special
1: and it's fun I mean I know it's about the apocalypse but it's fun and it's tongue-in-cheek and it's light you know so many things are so depressing so that's a big thumbs up from us I think what did you think, Jeffers, about Summer of Rockets? They've dropped that as a box set on iPlayer. It's also on BBC Two. What, what did you make of it?
2: It's an interesting format, this one. I, I just imagine me going to the BBC saying, yeah, I want to do a period drama about bespoke hearing aids. I can't imagine that would have got, <laughs> got, got very far. But that's because I'm not Stephen Pollock, or, Oh, I see, yeah. You see where I was going there? And it is a drama set in sort of Cold War period. It's about a Russian Jewish inventor. He is called Samuel Petrukin, played by Toby Stevens. Maggie and Smith's a, son. Maggie Smith's son, and it's about how he sort of infiltrates this family. It's an MP, uh, Richard Shaw, played by Linus Roach, and Kathleen Shaw, played by Keely Hawes, and how he gets involved with them, and he ends up sort of becoming a spy, and he's on a secret mission to sort of infiltrate that family. It's, it's very different, this. It's um, intriguing in a way. It sort of looks quite beautiful on screen, but it's an unusual tale. It didn't, um, it didn't feel particularly strong in terms of the storyline. I quite enjoyed watching it. The petrukin family are quite a sort of unusual family and um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to make it. I watched the second episode and I got into it a bit more. I think as Kathleen Shaw is quite a strong character. There's some mystery around Richard Shaw, the MP, in terms of what what, what he's about and, and, and why he's not sort of all there in a way. He seems like he's uh, sort of troubled and then you've got this sort of larger-than-life character, Samuel petrukin played by Toby Stevens but it, it almost doesn't seem to fit in with, with that period of time. I, I was sort of Enjoying it, but also a little bit confused. What, what did you make of it?
1: It's very melodramatic, and I think it—it's it, you know intends to do that. But so his daughter is this kind of debutante who doesn't want to go to etiquette lessons and wants to be her own woman and doesn't want to play all these games. Um, and then she has this really hysterical sequence at the end where the heel breaks off her shoe. It was just so over the top, and it had all this big music behind it to try and make it sound really dramatic. I just—I was like, oh, calm down, love. Like do, I don't know. I just didn't really. I wasn't really buying it. Keely's great as always, and you know the acting's pretty good in general. But I just, it it feels very sort of well-to-do, and the the dialogue is not very convincing. It's like a stage play where you can sort of feel feel how it's written, and the fact that it's storytelling rather than just you know naturalistic drama. I. But yeah, but I didn't like, I didn't dislike it. It was, you know, it looked beautiful and I was sort of interested in the story. You're right, I mean, it's rare to have something about someone selling hearing aids, but in a way, all credit to it. I like anything that I haven't seen before. Um, but I just, yeah, I didn't really quite know what it was trying to achieve.
2: Yeah, I think you made two really good points there. One, it is different. It's, it's not another police drama. We do need variety. It's on BBC Two. It's not trying to be, I suppose, Sunday night prime time on BBC One. It's, it's on Wednesdays on BBC Two. So they obviously know it's perhaps a slightly different audience. And the, the dialogue is, is an issue, I think, uh, you also mentioned that, that it does feel a bit like it's, it could be a theatre production at times and some things are overblown and perhaps there could be more done on the relationship between Toby Stevens' character Samuel Petrukin and, and the Shaw family. That's where the intrigue really lies. That's where the story, I think, is going to go the further on we get. It's going to be about him sort of spying on them or, or, you know, getting involved with them and their relationship and some of the other things, like you mentioned about the daughter and other parts, they, they don't seem to hold true. They don't feel that realistic. They feel almost like a sort of dream sequence in a way, and that is slightly at odds with, with the main heartbeat of the story. So... It's not a terrible watch or anything like that. It's quite enjoyable, but but it doesn't hang together perfectly. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. It, it, I feel like somewhere in there, some there is a really good summer of rocket series, a much better one, but it, it's just not quite there. It maybe needed some some tweaks on the dialogue and some tweaks on on the plot.
1: And also, we've been talking a lot recently about mental health, and there's a sort of mental health storyline in there. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it really that didn't. Feel true to me either. I didn't really understand what they were trying to do with it. This is with the the husband of Kitty Horse's character. I think you'll see when you watch. I don't really want to spoil it, but it just I didn't really make much sense to me. It didn't feel believable. I don't really know what the point of that was. Obviously, it's going to extend into the into future episodes, but it just kind of that felt really jarring to me as well.
2: Yeah, the mental health issue is it's almost skirted over quite quickly. I feel like if you're going to do something like that with with a big character it needs a lot of explanation it was done in it sort of involved a child in it as well again without giving too much away, and it, it, it didn't feel very natural I suppose especially with all the great stuff we've been talking about recently the real life documentaries and things you've got to be very careful how you deal with topics like that
1: and yeah it is quite intriguing it does look beautiful so I think it will find its audience but it just could have been better So Jeff, as we were talking last week about the fact that Black Mirror is back very soon with three brand new episodes, Miley Cyrus is going to be in one of them, Andrew Scott as well, and it is always a massive talking point when Black Mirror releases new episodes. So exciting. You were at the press event this week with Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones, very jealous. How was it?
2: Yeah, it was really good It was, and it was really interesting. It's quite a different episode. I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute, but... The main takeaway really is they've managed to get Miley Cyrus on an episode of Black Mirror. You, you look up her sort of stats. She is a massive global star. She's, she's worth over 200 million pounds. You know, she doesn't need to do stuff like this. So I was ju- just to actually see her on there. And it's not a bit part by any means. She is the lead role in this episode, which is called Rachel, Jack and Ashley, too. It's just incredible. And afterwards, we did manage to speak to Charlie Brooke and Annabelle Jones about how they managed to actually get Miley on the show.
3: I still can't believe it. You know, you say, oh, my God, it's Miley Cyrus. Um, we were very lucky. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: We like, After the script was written, we were, we were just discussing who could play the part of an international pop star. And we sort of thought, well, in a dream world, it would be somebody like Miley Cyrus. Uh, but we thought that was stupid talk <laughs> and that we might as well be wanting to sort of I don't know um, resurrect Oliver Reed or something <laughs> I don't, not Oliver Reed he'd be terrible the that wouldn't work <laughs> but um, like literally an impossible sort of request but we've also figured that we had nothing to lose by by trying to get the script to her apart from all, our pride Apart from our pride, but we thought we'd just be ignored, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and and we we but we got the script to her, and it turned out that she'd seen the show and liked it, and read the script and liked it. And then before you knew it, we were having a Skype chat
3: that's and then, and then she said she'd do it yeah I think you know she just she read the script and as you can imagine there was quite a few things in the script that she identified with right. and uh, and you know she's got a very sarcastic sense of humor she's very acerbic she's very funny and she delights in you know and subverting things you know her whole career has been about you know the Disney pop star who tries to carve out her own identity and as a result has you know faced a lot of opposition for from her label and her fans in some respect. So she's been on that journey. So she found it hilarious. She was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna have so much fun with this. I seem so... to remember
0: she said, like, oh, it'll piss people off, and pissing people off is kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. right, so she's playing a pop star. Is she any good in it?
2: She is pretty good, actually. I was I was surprised. I was I know she's done a bit of Disney before, but this is quite a different level, isn't it? You know, a Charlie Brooker script. She's playing a pop star called Ashley O. She's got purple hair. It could easily be Miley from Ten years ago, I guess it that, and that 's the beauty of her taking the part. I suppose she, she is this pop star and she 's having to conform to a lot of a lot of things she 's not allowed to swear kind of thing she 's got this manager character who is, is very much on her back and watching everything she does and so I guess for her it was that part of the certainly the first half of the episode. Probably not too difficult for her to play. It's probably playing herself from a former life almost.
1: And can you tell us anything about the plot? Anything about what weird technology she's confronted with? Or is it all under lockdown?
2: Well, we're not officially supposed to review it for another week or so. But the pictures are out there of, of a, one of her co-stars with a, with a small sort of robot with, with a purple wig as well. So I think you can work out that's obviously a sort of robot version of Ashley O. And that's something that the fans in, in the show can, can buy. And so um, there's some incidents and and that has quite a big part to play in it. So so it's kind of about technology, a usual Black Mirror theme, really. And the other interesting thing, I guess, is that the way that Ashley O, that characters develop, it, it takes a few dark turns, and Miley Cyrus actually had quite a lot of input into that.
3: Yeah, she, you know, she talked a lot about her experiences, and a lot of the details of her life have been, you know, engineered into the script. Um, and she had lots of thoughts on the music and the performance of the music, and the look, and you know how um, how how the. F- The relationship between the idol and the fan you know which is a very interesting and powerful relationship in today's world you know so that was something that really interests her because obviously she tries to be true to her fans but you know there are often lots of um artists where it's all very carefully managed and you know the you know we touch on it in the film the idea of empowerment and the messages you know very powerful pop stars give to their fans and how you know we should be very careful how we manage that you know, the messages we give. And you see, you know, um you see Rachel, you know, following, believing everything her idol says. And does it actually help her? You know, all of these. yeah
1: So this is one of the three episodes. That feels a bit tight to me, only having three. You know, usually at least have four. Yeah, the funny thing was when I
2: I tweeted out that the announcement about there being three episodes and the main response from most of the fans was, what, three? Well, you know, why aren't there ten or whatever? But I think the problem is now Charlie and Annabelle they're overseeing almost like films every time they make these now. This one's about an hour. And I think the budget and the time spent on creating some of the technology even for some of the episodes means that, that they take a long time to make. We obviously have Bandersnatch at Christmas as well. So it does take a, a lot of time to produce each one of these.
1: Do we know anything about the other two episodes?
2: So we've got one called Smithereens. That's with Andrew Scott. Basically, on the trailer, that looks like he's some sort of Uber driver maybe and there's a, there's a police hold-up. That, that doesn't look like it's going to have a very happy end for Andrew. There's a lot of guns around, so I'm worried for him. The, <laughs> other, the other episode is called Striking Vipers. That seems to be uh, based around dating and perhaps uh, cheating. And, and again, technology looks like it's involved there in terms of how, how they date and how they meet uh, other women in, uh, for the main male roles. So yes, yeah, three very dip- different episodes. And one of the other things Charlie was really keen to stress at the launch was that he, he can't make them all really dark and everyone dies in them. Otherwise, I think Black Mirror would just be too depressing.
0: I think that certainly, again, if we did it, like, I quite like the idea. We we always know that some episodes are going to piss people off and that, that, that some people are going to, you know, appreciate one type of story more than another. I think that if we did, like I say, if we just kept doing nihilistically bleak stories... Then it just becomes very, very predictable. It really—it depends on what the—it really depends on what the story is that we're trying to tell. Like it suited because it's quite heightened, and yeah. the world of it is quite a sort of silly, glossy world. In many ways, it—it—it it, it made sense to us. There were so many sort of big flavors and elements in it that it made sense to take it in that direction. So sometimes it's like we like to go a bit Pixar. You know, um, and other times we like to go a bit Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) And it really depends on our whim
1: love that from Charlie. I think it's important that Hang the DJ was another quite light episode they had and everyone loved that didn't they? So just because it has to be sort of dystopian doesn't mean that it has to be depressing every time. Yeah
2: that's definitely right they've got to mix it up a bit. I think this episode is going to gonna divide fans. I think it skews a bit younger. That was the impression I got speaking to other journalists afterwards. Maybe it's going to appeal to to 20-somethings more than 30 and 40 year olds and it does feel a bit of almost like a caper at times that there's definitely some lighter sequences in it but that that's refreshing and, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm interested to see the reaction it's, it's dropping on June 5th as we say with the other two episodes
1: so do you think this lives up to your favorite episodes of Black Mirror
2: it's definitely up there it, it wouldn't be anywhere near my top three or anything I think Hang the DJ is probably my favorite but it, it feels very different and it feels fresh and that's that's one of the great things about Black Mirror I think is it keeps doing new things it feels different all the time and it keeps mocking mocking us and mocking technology I think
1: my favorite's the one with Bryce Dallas Howard you know when she's giving the you know, when everyone in society gives each other a rating, just on you know if if you're a nice person or not. I've, yeah, that's the great thing about Black Mirror is it's it is imaginative, but you could actually see how that could happen in real life, and that's when it's when it's at its best. I think
2: that one was really close to reality. I think you know she 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 wanted to buy a and she? she couldn't get it because of the rating, that type of thing. We're, we're seeing ratings more and more. It, it it feels like that was written, and then a couple of years down the line, it's, it's more realistic than ever, yeah.
1: Channel 4 must be gutted that they've lost it to Netflix.
2: I mean, I remember at the time they were furious, they put out some statements quite aggressively, but but ultimately Netflix, with, with their budgets, I think they're able to offer Charlie and Annabelle probably blank checks, um, uh, not quite blank checks, but, you know, unlimited funding or, or certainly huge budgets to make these shows. They do feel a lot of them now they're on a different scale to, to the Channel 4 ones. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's been a good move and, and everyone's really happy, except Channel 4, I suppose. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Series Linked. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you've subscribed and tell your friends where to find us too.
0: Hello, podcasters. Are you hungry? I am. Well, actually, I always am. That's why I'm doing a new series called Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, where I take interesting people to eat in a restaurant I reckon they'll like. I've spent my career interviewing over the dinner table. You just find that people relax more when they're being pelted with fine wines and being fed ample food. So in this first series, I'll be breaking bread with a whole bunch of people, including Richard E. Grant. Like a multiple rolling gastronomic... Orgasm. Mel C., Stanley Tucci, Tracy Ullman, and Jamie Dornan. Out to lunch with Jay Rayner. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you don't want to miss an episode.
1: So this week sees the Britain's Got Talent semi-finals go live every night this week, leading to the final at the weekend. David Williams has done so well in that role. He's always winning the best judge at the NTAs. I don't know if, if he's quite the best judge. Jeffers, my big question to you is this. Who is the best TV judge of all time?
2: Well, I'm sorry, David. I don't even think David's <laughs> the best, best judge on the panel. I'll be honest oh. with you. Simon Cowell was the best judge without question best TV judge. I think we've all just got used to him a bit. He's been on there that long. We've heard all the phrases too much. And also, since the birth of Eric, he's got a bit softer, hasn't he? So Mm -hmm. you're not getting those great put-downs. But certainly at his peak, he was probably the best. I used to love Danny Minogue. Always had a really soft spot for her on x factor I'm hoping she might come back for the new X-Factors this year. But if I had to pick my favourite judge ever... I think I really miss Mary Berry on Bake Off. Oh. she had a bit of humour. She was the total professional. I really felt, you know, she knows what she's talking about more than any of them. She, you know, she knows the perfect, the perfect bake more so than Paul even. And so she would be my ultimate. What about you?
1: Well, for me, it's probably you know I'm a massive Strictly fan. And Bruno and Craig together, them as a double act, is unbeatable. True, think great. It's a, it's difficult to imagine no one knowing who they are. They're celebrities in their own right now. But you know, they, they were they would not you know. Not household names at all when they joined that panel. and They totally made it their own. I'd be gutted if either of them left in a way that when Darcy left, I was a bit sad, but, you know, I can cope with it. But if Craig or Bruno go, I'm actually going to cry. Uh, but obviously, the ultimate TV judge is Judge Rinder. Fair enough. Right, let's talk about some more telly now. Brian Cox is going to be back on our screens with The Planet. It starts on BBC Two on Tuesday this week. Set it up a bit for us, Jeffers.
2: Yes, it was a five-parter, I and it's all about how the planets were created over thousands of years from dust particles. Almost like the life story of, of planets, really, is what this is. It starts off with, with the four closest to the sun in the first episode. And I guess if you're a sci-fi nerd or you're into, into this, it's sort of like a blue planet, but about sort of our solar system. I found it quite interesting, but I'm not sure whether I'd devote five hours to this. I think it's probably a little bit niche. I, I was hoping for, a I, I don't know, a little bit more action or something. I did learn a lot, but... But at the same time, it, it it's quite heavy going. What what did you make of it?
1: It is quite dry. I thought it looked absolutely gorgeous, almost kind of proper cinematography on it. You know, it's really well made. Brian Cox is a fantastic presenter. He's clearly genuinely enthusiastic about this stuff, and they're trying to make it accessible. I just found it quite difficult to concentrate. I felt like a proper millennial going, "Oh, my god, you know, I can't watch this while I'm on my phone at the same time." But it really required all my concentration. And I, I still didn't really get it. I was like, I had to rewind bits. I said, "What are you trying to tell me?" I didn't really understand what they were trying to say. I think because it is really complex, obviously, and they were trying to sort of present that in a, in a way that wasn't patronising and sort of assume that you had some knowledge. But they were, tr- they were trying to be accessible. But I, I did find it quite dry. I don't know. What do you think?
2: I'd certainly learnt more about some of the different planets and, and their habitats and, and what, what they look like and, and how they were created. Also, that was the other thing that, that came out. It, it starts from the Big Bang, so to speak, and, and how the planets were formed. The other problem is, it's just quite a simple problem for me, is when you've got, say, blue planet, you've got all these diverse animals, but also a huge range of diverse colours. Um, and... And planets by their nature tend to be quite sort of rock coloured, don't they? <laughs> so, so you've got Brian and he, he walks across some, some fantastic landscapes. By the end of the episode, there's only a limit to the number of different sort of uh, colours and, and visually stimulating things there are on there. And the same when they're showing how the plants were created. Visually, it, it's not as exciting as, I suppose, nature or, or animals. They, they even put a few forests and, and sort of nature moments in there or, or animals in there, I think, to try and create some excitement. And I think what he does, he does brilliantly. So if you are into science, I imagine some school children, perhaps if, if they're into the planets or they're learning about this at school, it's going to be a fantastic five-parter. And they're going to learn a huge amount and be able to do projects from this and, and that type of thing. But for, but for your sort of normal viewer, it's up against so many... Powerful, visually stimulating documentaries, I think it's going to struggle to get heard. That's, that's my worry for it, really.
1: Yeah, I think they, like I said, I did think it looked beautiful and that the, the visuals were really good and they, it felt like really good quality um, sort of pictures. But like you say, there's only so much you can do. Venus isn't neon green with lots of cute monkeys running around. It just isn't. Uh, so that is a bit disappointing. But I think it's important that the BBC put on these kind of programmes. It was really well researched, really well made. So, you know, not knocking it at all, but maybe just not for us. Let's move on to something that is always on TV, i.e. another documentary about a serial killer. This is Confessions of a Serial Killer. It's on Channel 4 on Monday. Tell us a little bit more about it, Jeffers. This
2: is all about Samuel Little. He is a 78-year-old man, and he has been dubbed the worst serial killer of of all time. It sounds quite a big claim to to start off the documentary, but there probably is some truth in it. What's happened is he is now in prison for uh, three murders, and eventually he then confesses that he's committed a lot more murders over time. It it transpires that over a a period of four decades he was committing a a huge number of murders. They think up to 93 women have been killed by Samuel Little and he's now started to talk about it. Incredibly and also disturbingly he's now started to draw his victims. He seems to have an incredible memory for the crimes he's committed and the police are now using these drawings to try and sort of uncover and and reopen some cold cases across the American states it's quite a a shocking sort of uh, documentary and what they've got which adds to it is they've got the police interviews from when he admits to these these killings so yes it's quite shocking What, what did you make of it
1: I just I couldn't get to the end of it to be honest. I, I think occasionally some of these documentaries. I thought Making a Murderer was brilliant, and it's about a perceived injustice, and you know, did Stephen Over really do it? And there's a story there. I thought the Yorkshire Ripper one was just really well done. We talked about this on the podcast, but I just I didn't really understand why we need to have this documentary. It felt almost like we were reveling in the details. It's done respectfully, but I just I didn't really need to be in this headspace. I didn't want to see this man's horrible face. I didn't want to think about his crimes. And I just kind of felt a bit uncomfortable watching it. And I know that partly the point was they were talking about how the police treated uh, murders of black people very differently to murders of white people. And that is an important point to be raised and something that we should be talking about. But as a piece of television, I just, I just, I didn't want to be there. I don't know. Am I being sort of Mary Whitehouse about it?
2: No, no. I think there is a problem with this documentary as well. It it does lack depth. It seems to be made by a single guy or several guys and the one thing they've got, which no one has had before, are these tapes, uh, which is the conversation between Samuel Little and the police. But we don't hear enough of those, p- perhaps because they're not that interesting. But you, you would hold the whole episode around that. And there just seems to be the odd sound bite. He does visit some some family members of some people th- that were killed, but none of those feel particularly solid interviews. He goes to where Samuel Little was brought up, doesn't really find anyone of any consequence who can tell us about his upbringing and I didn't feel there was enough depth there. He certainly doesn't interview Samuel Little himself. It it feels like um, a documentary that was made and sort of hung up on the fact that he is the worst serial killer of all time. We've got these tapes that, you know, that I think that probably does warrant a documentary. But I think it it doesn't hang together perfectly by any means. I, I think you can well understand that you, you, you didn't particularly enjoy it or get to the end. I think there probably was a good hour long documentary there. I, I'm just not sure this is it, really.
1: It's also calling it Confessions of a Serial Killer. It's making it glamorous, making it sexy. And that also puts me off. You know, I, I don't know. I know they have to make it some, give it a title that means people are going to watch, but I just found it a bit off-putting, really.
2: Another thing that I found quite interesting, which reminded me of the Yorkshire Ripper um, documentary we talked about where the, the murders weren't taken very seriously. In this case, um, he, he murdered a lot of prostitutes. And in some of the states, they basically, once they found out the person murdered was a prostitute, Made no attempt to solve the crime, so in some cases the family didn't hear from the police for several weeks, and then nothing was really done. So, so it's really quite shocking in that sense, in terms of the state of America or how disinterested the police were, perhaps twenty or thirty years ago, in, in murders. And it shows how he he could get away with this for so long. The facts of the facts of his sort of life are, like I say, pretty incredible, and um, he has made a lot of headlines for these drawings that he's doing. But but I think I didn't feel like we got particularly close to Samuel Little. I've read a few articles um, about him because I had to write some stories to this and and I didn't feel like I learned that much more from the documentary other than hearing some chilling uh, stuff from his interviews that there's not a full hour's worth of stuff there for me.
1: Do you think this trend of watching stuff about serial killers is going to run and run? Do you think we're always going to be interested in it?
2: Well, the TV channels can't get enough of it at the moment. This is the first one I've really noticed with this kind of headline, uh, this kind of title um, on Channel 4 but obviously on ITV, Piers does them a lot. Susanna's started to do things to do with murder as well so they're quite common on there and, and, and we've reviewed what two three four on Netflix as well so there's obviously some level of interest in them and they must be getting reasonable viewing figures but they're not particularly a relaxing watch are they and, and I think there is there is a point where we're going to get too many of them it seems like people have hit upon something that's successful or rates and there's going to be lots and lots of them but but I think they need to be used sparingly and there needs to be a good reason to do them or you need to 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 put them up and broadcast and when you have really good material um to to fill out a full hour or a full series because otherwise what we're in danger of getting is you know quickly put together ones that 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 aren't substantial and 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 feel a bit pointless
1: give me an episode of bake off any day (laughs) (laughs) so it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die Now, each week, one of our favourite people from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, it was Alex Norton from Hatton Garden and Taggart, of course, who chose Martin Scorsese Presents the Blues, which is something I'd never heard of but was really cool. And this is the time I would usually introduce a celebrity giving their their favourite box set. We're doing something a little bit different this week because, insert some sad and dramatic music here, Jeffers is going on holiday for a week. Rude. Uh, leaving me here Uh, but it's fine because I've got a fabulous co-host coming in for one week only Sarah's coming in but Jeffers in honour of you and how amazing you are I thought I'd let you pick the box set this week
2: I feel very privileged
1: yeah well so you should let me give you the the big full on spiel this is Mark Jeffries and his box set to watch before you die.
2: Hello, I'm Mark Jeffries from the Daily Mirror, and my choice is the thick of
0: it.
1: Fire up the turbochargers, set the phases to equality. (laughs) Um, It's Murray time. Mahita
0: Murray, they now call her. You know, they had to install speed bumps at the bar. She's like Gazza at Euro 96.
2: (laughs) This was a BBC political drama, ran for four series between 2005 and 2012. Probably the best political drama of all time, I think compared to Yes Minister as well.
0: Queen to 4. I never had you down as a chess man, I thought you might be more inclined to play Ludo or something. Do you mind? Oh, what, can you not multitask a deep beige?
2: The main reason it was really so good was the character Malcolm Tucker, played by Peter Capaldi. He was in all four series, this sweary uh, media press officer, comparisons with Alistair Campbell, and he was just perfect, absolutely hilarious.
0: If you want to tip me up to the corner, that would be fine. Just try and take out that cyclist as you go in. I think he's Shadow Cabinet.
2: The other thing that was great about it was for the first two series, you had the right honourable Hugh Abbott played by Chris Langham. He then left under quite suspicious sort of circumstances and was then replaced. And normally for a lot of programmes, that would be the downfall and it would crash and burn. He was replaced by Rebecca Front, who played Nicola Murray. And we had two more really fantastic series. It was a real shame when this ended, to be honest with you. And it, it would be perfect again now. If we could get a Theresa May type character, I think it could work again.
3: It's like you're a Catherine wheel and you fell off the stick. You're going... to But not in the right way. I think you're wrong, Malcolm. You're like a sultana in a salad. Take
1: a river one. Well, I think we're all staggered that you didn't pick Fleabag, Jeffers.
2: <laughs> well, everyone knows that. I thought I had to do something a bit different. But yeah, obviously Fleabag's right up there as well.
1: How often do you sit and watch The Thick of It as a box set? I
2: mean, I haven't watched it for a while. It just really struck me this week with everything that's gone on. It, it, it was just absolutely classic. And I do think it's probably Peter Capaldi's best ever role. He went on and did Doc 2 and stuff, but nothing's ever really replaced Malcolm Tucker. And it is available on Netflix, so I'm going to go back and probably watch a few episodes this week, I think.
1: Pretty sweary, though. No, not safe for work. Definitely not. Fantastic. Well, you won't be here next week, but I'll be here and there'll be another box set to watch before you die. So we're almost out of time for this week's episode, but as ever, we need to have a little look at our EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers fans, this is your moment. Turn it up. Jeffers, what shall we be keeping an eye on next week?
2: Yeah, there's only one show really I think everyone's going to be talking about next week, and that's Love Island. Oh, God. I hear you, sigh, but it's going to be talked about definitely. It's it's huge. It's, It's all over the internet. It's massive. It is, and um, there's a lot of people focusing on it at the moment, both for the good and bad. There's been some issues recently, so they've announced they're going to change the aftercare in terms of how they look after the contestants. So you've got that aspect. And also, lots of people just want to see who's going to go in there, what they're going to look like. There's also talk of them changing the lineup and perhaps not them all looking super sexy and being...
1: No, they're not going to do that. They'll have someone who's a size 10 rather than a size 6. That's as far as they're going to go. And then say, look, look at our diverse body image.
2: Well, look, we're already talking about it now. It's not even next week.
1: Oh, God. Okay, let's move on swiftly to next month.
2: Next month is Top Gear. They've just started recording the live studio sections. This is with Freddie Flintoff and Paddy McGuinness. I've got a really good feeling about this. I've been giving a sneak preview of some of the video clips. And it's a bit more relaxed than it was with perhaps Matt LeBlanc and Chris Evans, a bit less stiff. They feel like they're not using as much of a script. And, and I've, got, I've got a good feeling that Top Gear is going to be back in a big way.
1: OK, and what about next year? Next year, we've got
2: Doctor Who coming back. But most of all, we've got the Jadoon, which are an evil sort of enemy of the Doctor. Hasn't been seen on screen for 12 years. So I know that the who is going to be very excited about that.
1: So lots for us to keep an eye on there. Then lots of monsters and Love Islanders and things things to keep us busy. But that's all we've got time for this week. This has been the series-linked podcast. You know that. If you've enjoyed it, and we really hope that you have, please go on, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It would make our day. And make sure you're subscribed as well so that the next episode is ready and waiting when it drops next Tuesday. For now, though, bye-bye. See you later.